0: Hello and welcome to the Keeping the Peace podcast with me, Alexis Powell-Howard. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by Dave Brewster. Dave has been a police officer for 30 years serving the Metropolitan Police Service from 1992 across North and East London in a variety of different roles. However, at the moment, he is seconded to the National Police Wellbeing Service, or Oscar Kilo, and is the National Operation Hampshire Coordinator. In the most recent 12 months figures, we can see that there have been 37,000 assaults on police officers recorded in the UK, an increase of 20 to 25% on the previous year. It's absolutely essential that we have a meaningful response to these incidences and ensure that officers and police staff are supported as victims of crime. Dave is now the dedicated MPS lead focusing on improving the response to police assaults. As you'll hear, this is a subject that Dave is passionate about, and he absolutely believes that policing colleagues deserve the best levels of wellbeing support and victim care. I hope you enjoy the podcast. You're listening to the Keeping the Peace podcast, produced in collaboration between Oscar Kilo, the National Police Wellbeing Service, and Fortis Therapy and Training. Hi, Dave. Nice to see
1: you. Good morning, Alexis. morning.
0: morning. Um, I'm just really interested to know about what made you become a police officer in the first place. You've been a cop for 30 years, is that right?
1: Yeah, coming up for 30 years, I, I, I retire from policing this year. Um, why did I join the police? It's a good question and something that isn't an easy one to answer, I don't think. Um, I think what I was looking for was a, a career that, where I could help people and do, you know, actually achieve something you know, everyone wants to know that they've been useful in in, in some way, shape, or form. I think that's really important. Um, and policing was one of those um, careers um, that that had so many different avenues you could go down. That you, you know, you you could specialise, um, you know, be a detective. You could ride a horse. You could drive a fast car. You could get involved in firearms work. So it was one of those. I think it was one of those careers that offered something, um, uh, while being useful to other people and being able to help other people. It also offered a real variety and that's what attracted me really.
0: Mm. It's like different options in it within a career isn't it if there's so many very different roles and you've done quite a few different roles in that time haven't you?
1: Yeah um, most of my career has been operational frontline policing um, but I've you know I started off like most officers um, doing normal policing duties in a, on a division. Um, And then I moved on to uh, Public Order Policing, so territorial Support Group or TSG as it's known. Um, And then I moved on to Hackney, where I was a Sergeant at Hackney for seven years. Uh, And I've worked in some other specialist roles as well. I I spent a number of years in Firearms Command as a Chief Inspector. Um, I've been a Staff Officer to one of the uh, Senior Officers. Um, And then obviously then picking up up Hampshire was the, you know probably the the highlight of my career I would say um, being becoming the MET's lead and then the national lead for up Hampshire
0: so for those people who don't know what operation Hampshire is um, can you explain you know what it is and why it's so important
1: sure um, so up Hampshire is um, is a project or an initiative that helps us improve the way we respond to assaults on our colleagues so as 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 the service provider if you like for victims of crime um, we we focus on we focus rightly on members of the public when they're victims of crime but what's often lost is that our colleagues are uh, facing uh, an increasing level of confrontation and violence and um and they need to be treated as victims in their own right and supported through through the process so um operation hampshire is hoping to help other forces develop their strategies in the response to assaults yeah.
0: and do you think cuz culturally that's quite a big battle to, to take on, isn't it, I suppose, in terms of how officers might see those assaults or how they might interpret them and also how they would have been processed previously. You yeah. know, it's just quite different to what you're looking to do now.
1: Yeah, I, I think what, uh, look, from my experience, and I've been assaulted a number of times um, in my career, we, we, when one of our colleagues is assaulted and seriously injured, we generally do a good job of it um, when we look after that person. But what's often overlooked is that there are a significant amount of assaults that don't result in injury, um, and are often seen as lower end or low level assaults, and, and, and they can be lost. They can fall through the gaps. Mm-hmm. I think what Hampshire is trying to do is, is apply some consistency, so mm-hmm. that we treat every assault as a, as a, you know, as, a, as something that needs to be addressed effectively and properly for the victim, regardless of the level of injury. Yeah. Um, my take on it is that we should be considering the impact of the assault and not just the injury injury is obviously very important you know some of the things that happen to our colleagues are life-changing and career changing as well Um, but we can't overlook the fact that there is a psychological impact as well on every assault and there's no job like this where every day you go to work there is a possibility that you're going to be attacked or assaulted in some way Mm.
0: yeah and that was something that I was really curious about really was about that Idea about the impacts of the injury because you know you do often look at assaults as the the, if it's a physical injury that it's you know the physical impact of that but actually acknowledging that there's um there are other impacts psychologically and and as you say it might be that that's happened several times or it could have happened in a short space of time over several days depending on what people are doing what officers are doing um and looking at that because it is a ripple effect isn't it that impact and it's, it's it potentially has a cumulative effect as well over a period of time.
1: Without a doubt. I mean, so, so just to put it into perspective, last, in the last financial year, there were 37,000 recorded assaults on police officers um, and, poli- and PCSOs. So there's a particular category that, that, that captures police officers and PCSOs. So mm-hmm. 37,000 assaults across the UK is over 100 a day, 100 offences a day. Yeah. But about 65% of those assaults do not result in an injury. But that doesn't mean they're not important. These are people who are going to work, to do a, to do a job of work, a profession where they're, ch- they're charged with looking after the public and, and supporting the public and protecting the public, and they're being attacked while yeah. doing so. And, I, and I, I think we need to consider every single assault as a line in the sand and something needs to be treated seriously. Yeah. Not, not, not just for the victim, but also for, in the way we hold offenders to account. Yeah. because an assault without injury doesn't mean it's you know any less of a issue it's, you know this is an assault on the office of constable and, and the staff that supports yeah.
0: and i suppose having operation hampshire gives that real kind of clarity around the expectations around how those are investigated and and what happens with those um, yeah. assaults and
1: yeah yeah so so what we're doing with op hampshire is we're putting in place um, know if you you boil it down to its most simplistic terms it's making sure that every time one of our colleagues is assaulted we have a a high standard um Mm. that we that we start from and we can you know we can work up or down from that but it ensures that the 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 person is treated as a victim that we investigate the the offense thoroughly we we um try to hold some of the offender to account um we, we ensure that there, there is well-being support and we take into account the impact that it's had on that individual and, and what's often forgotten is that there are colleagues out there that have been assorted four or five six times in a year you yeah. know and, and we have to consider what that can do to someone's confidence and uh, their risk appetite and the, the way they work. Yeah. And I
0: think one of the other things that goes alongside that and I is, is about if, if there has been an incident and the officer being investigated for an incident that you know just because that's the process and that's what has to happen. If you've alongside that got an assault that's happened within that incident as well, it can be quite a complicated mix yeah. of emotions, can't it, for police officers?
1: Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, and we often, you know, we do see that. that our colleagues have to use force. You know, it, it goes with the territory. Um, and so you'll often have, or you can have a situation where we have detained an offender and used force in in order to do that. And the detainee also then assaults the police officer at the same time. And you can effectively have two investigations running. One of which is by way of a complaint that's been made against the officer. And then you've got the the offense of the assault on the officer. So that can be quite complex. And I think it's really important that we don't lose sight of that. You Mm -hmm. know, Just because someone's made a complaint against you for using force, it doesn't mean you're not still a victim of crime yourself. And they still need to be supported through the process
0: definitely and I think that's quite a different perspective for officers to take isn't it that they've been a victim of crime themselves because yeah as you know as you say it's about serving the community isn't it and and that's the role that officers are in and to then be the person who's maybe on the receiving end of an investigation in terms of an assault yeah I guess Uh,
1: it is it's um it's a funny situation because you know uh, we I, I mentioned this this before but we are service providers we look after the public we, we we're the people that go and report the crimes and investigate them right so to see yourself as a victim of crime is quite a you know it, it can be quite a difficult thing to accept police officers uh, you know because of the the work we do and the, the the sort of the the exposure to confrontation and aggression and so on we often put on quite a stoic front quite a mm-hmm. sort of a, you know a and all of a sudden we're victims of crime and we're asking asking people to to consider the fact that they might actually be vulnerable and that's a difficult thing for some people to accept
0: yeah absolutely and I think historically my understanding is anyway having worked with offices in therapy and training and things is that that the that kind of almost critical debrief if you like would have happened in a very much more informal way mm-hmm. probably in, over a pint you know after a shift or whatever um, and would have been something that would have, have ever been recorded internally, It would have been something that colleagues would have supported with and, and, you know, in whichever way, whether that was a helpful way or not, but that was the kind of process that was there.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, and I think, you know, and I, I, I do genuinely see, you know, that dealing with things informally can be the right approach for some people. But the other issue that we can't um, uh, get away from is the fact that if we don't record these things officially, we we, we will never get a full picture of what's going on. So for example, out of the 37,000 assaults I mentioned, we don't, you know, unless we ensure that people record those incidents effectively and with detail, we'll never be able to articulate the dangers that our colleagues actually face on behalf of the public you know and 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 this is why we've we've been working to develop um a a national way of recording assaults on police officers and police staff so that not only does it ensure that we have um we have an evidence base to work from when it comes to things like uh, introducing equipment new kit new training and policies and so on but it also allows us to to actually um, articulate a picture of what is actually happening what it's like in modern day policing what it's like for police officers in 2022 Mm -hmm. and police staff uh, to go out there and do the job they do you know we are the thin blue line that stands between the aggressor and the vulnerable Mm -hmm. yeah and it's important that we are able to demonstrate to to our stakeholders and the people that support us and the people that that fund us that this is what's actually happening out there it's more than just a number you know it's more than just a figure of thirty-seven thousand. We we need a sort of a richer picture of what's what what it means for our colleagues
0: definitely because i was just thinking there often with data you you can get that kind of statistical um data together and it can look you know you can demonstrate it in in some some way that's quite hard hitting but actually it's the context of those assaults it's the it's the story isn't it the narrative that goes around the qualitative information that helps you to back up that quantitative data so it's it's kind of more real than just some numbers about numbers i mean it's a massive number i mean it's shocking to me that that's what's happening um but it doesn't give you the context does it of the impact of that on those officers, and those those people and their families and you know everything that ripples out from that
1: yeah uh, so one of the things when i talk to um other forces and colleagues about Operation Hampshire and I talk about impact. One of the things I talk about you know, as an example is, is the offence of, of, of being spat at. Now I know from personal experience what that feels like, it's absolutely vile, um, but if you were to ask me now, how many police officers in the UK have been spat at in the face over the past 12 months? I, I wouldn't have that figure to, to, uh, to hand. We will have it to hand if we start to collect this this information nationally, but think about being spat at, and, and think about how how many other people in their careers outside of policing have to face that sort of vile behaviour.
0: Yeah, you
1: know, it, it it does actually start to paint a picture about what it's like for us.
0: Yeah, and and actually mentally, what what officers and can end up tolerating just because it's what comes with the job, and that's the bit that's not acceptable, isn't it?
1: That's right, and and that that you've just said something that takes me right back to almost the sort of the the crux of up hampshire is that being assaulted is not part of your job yeah. it's an occupational hazard that we face because of the job we do um but there is a big difference between um expecting something and accepting it as normal right yeah. it's not normal right and and you know in any other walk of life if you you know if, if you got attacked at work you know working in a shop or you know, as a, I don't know, as a, as a, someone who works in Tesco's or whatever, Um you, you know, that would be a big deal. That'd be a, a that'd be obvious. Hopefully it'd be a once in a lifetime event, yes. but that's yes. not for our colleagues. The real reality is that this is happening to the frontline police officers and police staff on a regular basis. Mm.
0: Yeah. And I was, I was just thinking there about some officers that um, we've supported at Fortis during the COVID period mm. who were being spat at. Yeah. Which adds another I mean adds a whole other thing to it as well. I and mean, it's like you say mild cool. in the first place, but you add COVID into that as well. And it yeah. you know, it's it's like a weapon in a way. And I think that's the bit that um, you know, it's that tolerate tolerating behaviours that, as you say, that come with are expected to come with a job. I actually want the expectation to change that that isn't something that is expected with a job. It it comes with risks, absolutely. Yeah. But how you manage those risks as a police force is um, and consistently across the whole force as well is so important in getting that consistent message across as well to to the public that that's mm-hmm. not okay.
1: Well, that that's just going back to that spitting issue, and you mentioned COVID, right? So, um, so in, in in its blandest terms, if you assault someone by by spitting at them, right, that would be considered a common assault type offence. As assault against an emergency worker, often people would 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 um, would say it's a lower end, lower sort of, yeah lower end of the assault scale but think about the knock-on effect of that so you've potentially been spat at by someone who's got a communicable disease so you think about the anxiety that then follows for that victim that officer or that member of staff when they start to consider have I now contracted something have I now picked up whatever disease this person's got then you can take that to another level and say well maybe supposing they had passed on a communicable disease and then that officer has to go on to some sort of antiviral antiviral medication antiviral medication makes you feel unwell generally mm-hmm. some of the side effects are sort of people feel nauseous feel really really poorly with it and then you've got to think about well am I passing this on or have I passed something on to my loved ones my children my family my partner mm-hmm. now when you roll it all back yes it is a common assault at the lower end of the assault scale but the impact, yeah. the psychological impact on the individual, is quite different. Yeah. And this is why we've got to, you know, move away from considering assaults as being low-end, common assault. You know, they might be in the eyes of the law and, and, and through legislation, but the impact on the individual is it can often be completely different.
0: Yeah, and I suppose by capturing that um, data that information, not only can you put in better. Um, and more refined support as you get to know more and more about what's happening but it also influences funders doesn't it in, in yeah. terms of where those needs are, are needing to be met um to manage that risk because if you know the risk is there there's got to be something done in order to be able to support officers with it yes
1: yeah. and and also being able to articulate the, the the impact it's having on a national level hopefully will help us um influence um decisions around deterrent Mm. So you know, and 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 how assaults on emergency workers are actually seen through the courts. Mm. So you know, it, it, but by focusing in on this as, a, as a, and and seeing it as a problem, I think is important. It's a big step for us because
0: yeah.
1: it, it's something that has long been, you know, like I said, part of our job. You know, yeah. but um, it isn't. It isn't part of our job, or at least it's not something we should continue to just accept and roll with it.
0: Mm. And where do you see the courts kind of fitting in with that because obviously this is a it's a cultural shift isn't it it's about acknowledging this recording it accurately being able to pull that data as you've said but also then it's what then happens with those assaults or um with those accusations where do the courts fit in with that
1: well um so the, there's been some changes in recent years with legislation so the assault and emergency workers act was introduced in 2018 um, and that brought with it, it um, an uplift in sentencing so it allowed, it took what used to be the old assault on police offence that carried a six month maximum prison sentence It the Assault Emergency Workers Act um, uplifted that to 12 months so so potentially now an offender can get 12 months in, in, in prison for assault on a, on a police officer um, at common assault level obviously as we yeah. move through the ABH and GBH levels a bit, that, that increases so the courts have obviously we have been given that legislation and that uplifting sentencing power and we need to work with the courts and the CPS to ensure that we provide the very best evidence that not only evidence is the offence but evidence is the impact on the victim which will then help the magistrates or uh, or judiciary mm-hmm. um, use the most appropriate sentencing power available to them. Mm-hmm. So there is a part for us all to play I mean we we start, the police obviously start the criminal justice process off yeah. by reporting and investigating an offence. But if we're going to tackle this uh, properly, we need to be working with the CPS and the courts to make sure that we, A, understand what evidence they need and, and provide them with the very best evidence that we can we can give them so that we have a fighting chance of getting a, a proper outcome, a meaningful outcome for our colleagues.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I suppose that's the bit that it's people having the faith that that's what you're working towards, isn't it? Because this takes time. It takes time to build up, doesn't it? It's not a quick yeah. fix. It's going to be something that's actually quite a big shift.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so one of the things that's really important in sentencing in sentencing powers is is to be able to evidence the the impact that the on on the victim. Yeah, not just the physical impact, but the psychological impact, and that means a police officer or a member of police staff should really be providing a victim personal statement which yeah. which in many cases would 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 mean the officer has to show a degree of vulnerability you know you have to we're, if you haven't, if it's, if you've had trouble sleeping after you've been assaulted, if you've not been able to function properly, if it's, you know, if you've not been out to to play sports for for a number of months because of an injury, you know, we need people to be able to stand up in court and say, you know, what this wasn't just an assault on the office of constable. This had an assault. This had an effect on me as a person, mm-hmm. right? And that's quite sometimes can be quite a difficult thing for a police officer to do to mm-hmm. stand up in court, give their evidence in that traditional sort of you know, yeah. not unemotional way that we do and then say do you know what though this really got to me mm. but but in order for us to actually work with the magistrates and make sure that we you know are uh, um, them the very best evidence we can we've got to accept that part of that is uh the need to demonstrate if we if we do feel vulnerable that we mm-hmm. are actually you know that's how we've been feeling it's interesting
0: that concept isn't it because you kind of separate out as you were saying it the therapist in me was thinking: you've got the kind of persona of the police officer who's giving evidence, and then you've got the more human, the, the yeah. human side of the officer as to what the impact's actually been on them, and that can feel quite vulnerable to to share that. But it's necessary in order for this to start to be something that is recognised.
1: Yeah, yeah, with, and, and as much as it needs to be. So it's, it's a it's a huge cultural change for, for internally. I think you know. Yeah. Yeah, we we we're very good at going out and looking after the public and giving evidence in court. You know, in order to make sure that we, you know, we give the facts of the case and and the evidence of of the, of the offence. But it's slightly different when you're the victim. Yeah. You know, because you're 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 almost wearing two hats in a way. Yeah. You know, you're giving your evidence as a police officer and evidence as a victim, and that for some people that that might take a while to get used to. Mm. Yeah,
0: and I suppose it's about as. As new people come into the into the police force, and you know new recruits and and all that kind of thing as well, it's it's embedding it with them as they're coming through as well, right. isn't it? So it almost goes through the generations of policing. Um, yeah. Because I guess there'll be some officers who like never in a million years will I ever do that. No. Um, right. yeah, but it you will but be. You,
1: yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely will be. Uh, you know, and I've heard it personally. I've been doing this for a long time now, Operation Hamish. and I've heard, you know, I've heard some people say, you know. There's no way I'm going to report a minor assault like that. You know, it's, it, was, it was only this and it was only that. So, and I, and I totally understand the victim's prerogative of, of wanting to report something or not. and wanting to be treated as a victim. And, and we're not trying to create a victim culture, right? No, around no. culture. But what we're saying is, is that there's two elements to this. If you don't see it as an important issue for you as an individual, and that's your choice, Consider what it means for your colleagues if you don't report it, because this is an assault on the office of constable as well.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: yes. And that says something to the, the the offender. If you don't deal with it, you don't report it and don't investigate it, then what does it say to the offender that you've allowed to to, to, to walk away from it from mm, you mm-hmm. know, without without any sort of um, challenge? Because what might be a minor assault on you, what, what you might consider to be, a, what might be a minor assault on that individual, may embolden that offender to commit a more serious uh, assault on the next copper that comes along. Absolutely, alive.
0: yeah. You know?
1: So this is why I say we need to treat these assaults as a line in the sand. They're, they're, they're criminal acts, they're criminal offences, and they should be seen as such. Mm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It is that line in the sand, isn't it? It's setting a precedence. Mm-hmm. actually yeah definitely so if if an officer has been um or a member of police staff has been affected by some of the things we're talking about today what do they need to do how do they need to record this
1: well you know so if we're talking about assaults themselves then they should make sure that the assault is recorded as a criminal offense as a crime mm-hmm. uh, and and then bring it to the attention of a supervisor the supervisor should should if they're following the Art hampshire principles should take a, a bit of time to check on that person's well-being what do they need? You know, they might not need anything at all. They might not want anything at all. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't ask. Yeah. So really, the onus is on the supervisor then to actually make sure that you're taking the best interest of that person's uh, needs seriously. Yeah. But if they're affected by anything we're talking about, then you know, it, it all depends on 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 how they're affected. But there are a number of you know outlets within each force through occupational health and various other. Um, um, different setups within each force where they can go and and ask for help and that's Mm. the important thing you know Mm. it it doesn't it there's nothing wrong with asking for help or saying you're not okay Mm. it's you know I know it's a bit of a cliche term now but it's it's okay to not be okay you know absolutely yeah Um, because if you if you bottle this stuff up then you know when it does when it does eventually you know the, the drip effect does eventually get to you it can be quite debilitating
0: well that's and that's kind of what i see i suppose from a mental health perspective is that um is that people become very very unwell and then it's much much harder then to recover it's absolutely possible to Mm -hmm. um but it takes a long time and it takes a lot of soul searching and you know talking and and figuring things out and i I think this operation hampshire really fits in with that recognition of something that's affected you and then dealing with it as it's happening rather than it be something that gets stored in that box we often hear officers talk about the box in their head or the warehouse in their head where they've got lots of things stored and suddenly the lid won't go down Um, and it's not just that one incident it's all the instances have ever happened that come out all at the same time and that's when people get really unwell
1: yeah and and this is where this is where supervisors have got a part to play in this you know spending five minutes with someone and asking if they're okay after they've been assaulted yeah it you it could actually make or break the rest of that person's career So, that five minutes, you know, spending five minutes on someone can have a huge impact. Mm. Uh, And it is simply a matter of asking, are you okay? Do you need anything from me? Mm. Now, nine times out of ten, most people might say, you know what, absolutely, I'm fine, Sarge. I don't need anything. But if we don't stop and ask everyone, are they okay? Do you need anything? If we don't investigate the offence for them, if we don't make sure we capture the best evidence for them, if we don't think about the longer term effect that these sorts might have had on an individual, particularly repeat victims as well. We'll, we'll eventually start seeing people slip through the net, uh, and you know the, the the outcome can be devastating on that person's career um, and and their personal life. So yeah. we just want to make sure that we treat every assault as a line in the sand, and that we do we we have a decent starting point um, to work from. Yeah,
0: definitely. It's interesting, isn't it? I was just thinking that um, that five minute chat could really help help that person to not have to go down that route um and it's just that it's just that caring for a colleague that well-being check-in and and also if you're noticing it in a a colleague even if you're not the supervisor is recognizing that person needs help and stepping up to because it's hard sometimes to say i need some help isn't it that's one of the hardest things to do other people can see it well before you can usually (laughs) because they see your behavior change or or whatever so yeah
1: i mean from personal experience I've, i've told people this story a number of times but i was assaulted um, um, a number of years ago, um, and um, I wasn't okay. I was actually quite um, shaken by by the incident, um, but I put a brave face on it and you know did what most coppers probably did. You know, said I'm fine. There's nothing wrong. And it took a sergeant who noticed something in me the following day to take me to one side and say, you know, you're all right, Dave. And I said, I said, yeah, I'm fine. And she said to me, but you're not. Though, look at your hands. And my hands were shaking, and she picked yeah. up on that. And and you know she did nothing more than a check on my my well being, and said to me, "Look, go home for the night. You don't have to be here, right? It'll all be here tomorrow when you come back. But go and have a bit of time to decompress." Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important. And I I won't ever forget how that person made me feel. And yeah. she made me feel like i i you know I was valued and I was being looked after and I was supported you know I wasn't physically hurt but I was shaken and you know I I thought that that was good leadership personally absolutely
0: brilliant leadership and also acknowledgement that you need a bit of time sometimes to just process and and find your feet with it as well because it you know we're not we don't just switch off do we from from incidences like that at all no Dave it's been great to talk to you thanks very much for it's been fascinating and I think so needed and, and you must be so proud of being part of this and leading it you know across uh, the National Police Wellbeing Service as well as the Met. Um,
1: I, I would say that this is you know I've done a lot of things in my career but this is one of the most um, I think one of the most um, rewarding things to be involved in so it's an absolute privilege to be able to help colleagues and future colleagues through, through up Hampshire. We just can't lose sight of it because this isn't going to go away. Police officers will always be assaulted. It's always going to happen. Um, but we just need to make sure that we've got something in our back pocket to to deal with it by way of a response. And that response is about victim care, well-being and support, good leadership and, and holding people to account who who continue to, to offend against us.
0: And on that note, which can't, I can't sum that up any better... <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you, thanks for taking the time out to talk to me and um, awesome. I hope you have found this helpful. There's also information on the Oskipila website as well, isn't there, there about is. Operation Hobster and yes. So if anybody wants to find out from there. So thanks very much.
1: You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Thank
0: you. Thank you for listening to the Keeping the Peace podcast. It's available wherever you listen to your podcasts and if you subscribe, you'll be notified of the next episode as soon as it's available. We'd love to hear your feedback and ideas for future podcasts so please do comment or get in touch on our social media platforms for either Fortis Therapy and Training or Oscar Kilo.